0: Uh, This time next year, we'll be millionaires. I don't mean our building project guys that are leading that, and that's their hope and their dream. Uh, This phrase, this time next year, we will be millionaires, comes from a famous British TV show called Only Fools and Horses. Uh, This went really badly in the first service, but in the second service, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Only Fools and Horses. It went just... Uh, Bobby, you were in the first service. That's why you've heard about it. So it clearly went as bad in this service as well. But Only Fills and Horses is a program that is loved by many in the UK. Now, the program follows two working-class men, and they sell dodgy knock-off items from the back of their three-wheeled yellow van. In every episode, there's a glint in their eye as they say, this time next year will be millionaires. And the comedy genius of the show is that every episode starts with that sentiment and ends with them worse off than when they began. Yet Del Boy, the lead character, will always say to his brother Rodney, this time next year, we will be millionaires. As the show closed out in their final season, the two lead characters, Del Boy and Rodney, actually do become millionaires. They find a painting that was, in fact, a famous painting, and they take it to auction and it earns them millions of pounds, millions of dollars. And the episode shows them buying a new house, new cars, sending the children to private school. Everything is what they dreamed. Yet the final episode cuts to a scene. Del Boy and his brother Rodney are back on the same old estate. Their three-wheeled van has been taken out of storage and they're selling knockoff VHS players once again from the back of their van. It turns out that the life they had hoped for wasn't actually all that great, and they were backpedaling the same old life that they once had. You see, the sentiment of this time next year is actually ingrained into our society today. I want you to hear some phrases and hear what I'm talking about. Here are the phrases. The grass is greener on the other side. The future is bright. The American dream." These are all uh, phrases that talk about an insatiable drive for the next big thing, the, the treasure in our future that awaits us. There's this uh, hope that propels us forward that this time next year, I will have more, I will have better, I will be more. Yet, just like Del Boy, many of us struggle with the same pursuit, that as we pursue these treasures in our future, maybe we even attain them, and we realize they're not actually all that great. Uh, let me ask you a question today. What is your treasure that you are pursuing? Finish the sentence in, in your own head. This time next year I will. You might have said, buy a house, have a new car, have completed a degree. Be engaged? Be married? Have children? Written a book? Have made a ton of money? Ran a marathon? Let's face it, none of us are saying that, but we might do. And have you noticed that in every answer that came to your mind, that as you've been thinking about this time next year, I will, everything that comes to mind, there's a, there's a hope that propels you forward, You're you're wanting to achieve it. You're willing to sacrifice for it. You're hopeful for that day where you can say, last year I said, this time next year I will. But let me ask you the question, do you really think it will change your lives? This time next year, my life will be changed. Will it really, truly be changed? Or are you gonna be like Del Boy and Rodney and you will go back to the same old life and just pedal what you've been doing all along. You see, earthly treasure and earthly desires do not secure a future for us, nor do they bring any hope for joy that we expect. It is powerless to settle aches that are in our hearts. It is powerless to, to set our future and bring us assurance in the present. Friends, that is why we need a new treasure, a new hope, something that will satisfy all the longings of our heart. All the earthly treasures will bring is heartache and despair, which is why we need to turn our eyes to something different, something new, something fresh, something eternal. We need to see something that will take our aches and take them into peace, where we will see our despairs turn into hope where the fleeting joys of these moments will turn into joy incomprehensible, where our ever-growing pursuit of something new will stay, change and go to a settled victory. Friends, today we need to see the gospel of Jesus Christ anew. The purpose of, of me preaching, preaching this passage today is not only that we would grasp the gospel afresh and new for us today, but it would transform how we view life itself not just a gospel that we know, but a gospel that we live. I want you to know Jesus, that ever longing satisfaction that you will find in him, who will transform your desires into his desires, who will provide you an internal reward that will bring assurance to today. I promise you that when you truly grasp the gospel, and that is my hope today, that there will be no this time next year. There will be no grass is greener on the other side. There is no American dream because it will be replaced with what Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That this time next year is not this time next year for you, but today and forever, Jesus Christ. That's enough. I don't need a this time next year. You see, the prize of Jesus is a treasure to be grasped, a treasure that will transform your lives today and forevermore. And so that is why we must go to Matthew chapter 13, As we take a look at the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value, I want you to see three expected transformations when the gospel is grasped. Three expected transformations when the gospel is grasped. You're going to see today that the gospel is not dead, that it is active, that it is alive. It moves in the lives of those who grasp it. Remember, we're we're all instinctively looking for something. When I asked you this time next year, there is something in your mind that you're thinking. I want you to hold on to that the entire sermon, and I want you to see how the gospel will transform how you view that. So we're going to see three expected transformations for when the gospel is grasped. Here's the first one. The gospel transforms our view of life the gospel transforms our view of life. Uh, Read with me Matthew chapter 13 and just verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. As we look at the first half of verse 44, note that Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's not unusual for Jesus to speak about of a kingdom. Uh, the word used for kingdom here is the Greek word basileia, which literally depicts a, a royalty, a sovereign power. And throughout the gospel accounts, we get several mentions to this royal power. Just listen to these verses. Uh, Matthew six thirty-three, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mark 1:15: The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Luke 17.21, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, I've given you five different references to when Jesus talks about the kingdom, but you'll notice that all five are different than the kingdom we're talking about in this verse. In fact, you'll see the difference in how the kingdom is described. In five references I gave you, it said kingdom of God. In today's reference, we're seeing the kingdom of heaven. Is it just a slip of a tongue? As Matthew just wrote it down wrong? I would argue that Jesus is doing something here that he's still talking about the kingdom of God, but he wants to emphasize the eternal nature of God's kingdom. And that is why he says the kingdom of heaven, that the royal reign of Jesus is an eternal reign. It is an eternal kingdom, and it's this kingdom he wants us to concentrate on. John Piper reminds us that the basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's kingly rule, his reign, his action, his lordship, his sovereign governance. So when we see the kingdom of heaven, I want you to see the eternal reign of Jesus who has defeated sin and death. We have sung about it, that he has defeated the sin that we confess before him, that he has defeated the punishment that God must enact onto that sin. And on that cross, it was finished The significance of this passage is Jesus is trying to turn our eyes away from the kingdom of the earth, what is happening here and now, to the eternal reign of Jesus Christ himself. And look at how he compares it. Look at what it compares to. His eternal kingdom reign is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, we're not told what the treasure is, but we do know what treasure means, don't we? It means something costly, something of value. In movies, it is depicted as a chest of gold or silver or rubies or gems. In Irish folklore, it's depicted as gold at the end of a rainbow. Uh, And if anyone dares call me Irish, I will correct you very quickly. Um, Ireland and Scotland are very different places. But in Ireland, it's depicted as the gold at the end of the rainbow. Every time we, we show treasure, it is something of immense value. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ is something of immense value. It's not compared to something that will rust or be destroyed. It's not compared to something that nobody wants. It's compared to something of great value because the reign of Christ is of great value. Now here's the interesting thing about treasure. Someone always has to pay for it. Before it became treasure hidden in a field, someone had to pay for it. It belonged to somebody. At some point, someone invested funds into this treasure. Friends, it cost something. The reign of Jesus is like this. It is valuable, but it cost something. It cost the life of Jesus. It cost his comfort. It cost more than we personally could even bear. And I want you to hear the words of Mark here, Mark's Gospel 10.45. For even the Son of Man, being Christ Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the one who will eternally reign, is like a treasure of great value and it cost him something to provide it. I think for a moment, what is the most valuable possession that you own? I quote possession and I did it in the first service and my kids went, but aren't we valuable to you dad? And I'm saying possession, not family member. That gets us all into trouble if we do that. But what is the most valuable treasure that you own? For me, it's actually my father's Bible. It was something that I inherited after he died when I was 13. It holds no financial value, none whatsoever. In fact, it's quite old and quite torn up now. So to the world, it really doesn't mean much. But it's on one of my things, my short list things, that if the house went up in flames, I would go and get that. And also my kids, just have to correct myself (laughs) from the first service. But I would grab that Bible because it is one of my most valued treasures. And here's the thing, it cost me nothing. I didn't pay for it. There's no value to it. I didn't have to give cash for it. It sits on my shelf as something given to me. But it did cost something. It cost the life of my dad because I only inherited it upon his death. I would never have received it if he hadn't died. You see, the treasure is valuable. It didn't cost me anything, but it cost him everything. Friends, that is what Jesus is talking about here. That the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ himself, his eternal reign is of great value and it's gonna cost you personally nothing. But it cost him everything. It cost him his life. I wonder at this stage, even just in these few words, are you beginning to grasp what Jesus is trying to get at? This is no small matter that he's trying to get us to understand. The great value of the gospel is something we must grasp. We've seen that the gospel is costly, but I also want you to see that the gospel is captivating. Look again at the second half of verse 44, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. We're not told where the field is. We're not told who the man is. We're not told the time of day. We're not even told the weather of that day. None of these things, none of these elements are important to the story. What is important in this parable is the treasure and how it transforms. Now, in first century times, it's not unusual to actually find treasure in a field. Uh, Lots of uh, wars and skirmishes would happen. And so what people would do is with their valuable things is they would bury it It's the safest place for it. If you bury it, only you know where it is. And so as wars would happen, as uh, different governments would come and go, your treasure would be safe in the ground. But what would often happen is individuals would die and their treasure would remain in the field because only they were the ones that knew it was there. And so what we find here is a man wandering a field, tripping up almost over a treasure that someone once put there. And I want you to see the phrase of how he responds to it in his joy. He finds the treasure and he is immediately joy filled which would suggest that he was not holding joy before. There's something different when he sees this treasure. Now, I was recently watching the Netflix documentary called Quarterback, and this is where Travis, you're gonna come in here, because you know, the Chiefs uh, number 15 is over, right over here. It follows three quarterbacks through the whole season, and it shows them going up and down through the season and, and all the trials they face. And at one point, it focuses on Mahomes, And at one point, he wins a game, and he's jumping up and down, and he's going crazy, and he says a phrase, two words, and he says it over and over and over again. And there's a clip of about a minute of him just jumping up and down, and he screams over and over, I'm here, I'm here. See, Travis is mouthing. He knows exactly (laughs) what I'm saying. The excitement of Mahomes just builds. All the pressure's gone. The TV program is gone. It's just him in his full excitement. He won he got his treasure. And so uh, with great joy, he exclaims that out loud. Friends, the treasure I'm talking about doesn't just give a fleeting joy after a game. It gives an eternal joy. Look how captivated this guy was. In his joy, he rids himself of everything he owns, sells the lot, so he can buy the field. He wants no doubt in anyone's mind that this treasure is gonna be his. He buys the whole field, ridding himself of everything he owns so that he could get this treasure. But let's remember, we're not talking about gold and silver here. Remember, this is a parable. This is about the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything in this world for the joy that you will find in that treasure. The man is captivated and he's truly transformed his life because of it. His life was nothing in comparison to having the treasure of Jesus Christ. You see, when you truly see the gospel, your mind starts thinking, well, who cares about clothes? Who cares about housing and cars and the Super Bowl and and the job and, and the promotion and the bank account? All these treasures seem gray in comparison, where the treasure that Jesus has on offer gleams in all of its brightness and it transforms how you see the rest of the world. Listen to Paul's experience of finding the treasure. Paul says this in Philippians 3.7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul got it. He actually says three times in this section, it is all loss, worthless, rubbish, not worth anything in comparison to knowing Jesus. That is what Jesus is getting In One single verse, one single parable, that the gospel is of great value because it transforms lives. I wonder, have you been transformed by the gospel yet? I'm not talking whether you're a Christian or not. That's not the question I asked. The question I asked was, have you been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been transformed by the knowledge that Jesus came to live, that he came to die, that he rose from that grave and he did so so that you could be set free from sin and death? He did so because he saw you as the treasure He saw you as valuable. And in such a way, he now gives new life. I wonder, have you seen that transformation yet? For Jesus transforms our view of our life. Our lives mean nothing without him. He is worth the sacrifice. He is worth the hope. He is worth the suffering. He is worth the persecution. For he himself is the treasure. He is the prize. He is the one that gleams in all brightness in this gray, dark world. The gospel is costly, friends. It is captivating, and it is also on offer for free. I wonder, do you grasp that yet? Continue with me in our second transformation when the gospel is grasped. The gospel transforms our view of worth. The gospel transforms our view of worth. Read with me verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, we see in verse 45, notice that Jesus, for a second time, uses the phrase, kingdom of heaven. We have a second parable, all about the eternal reign and rule of King Jesus. Jesus is focusing the attention on himself as the prize. The man is replaced with a merchant, coming from the Greek word emporos, which literally means to buy and sell goods. And in this case, he bought and sold pearls. As they are today, pearls are extremely rare and valuable. They were often bought as investments and for the most exclusive in the world, not so different from today. You could go as far as to say that they're admired, they are illustrious, they're wanted, they're desired. And before going any further, do you get what Jesus is doing here? First, it was the treasure that would transform lives. Now, it is pearls of great and immense value. Do you see how he is comparing the kingdom of heaven to these treasures? When it comes to Jesus, only the most valuable items are suitable for comparison. But even then, they're but a shadow in comparison. Uh, Think about it in this way. I was thinking this week about an an illustrious, a a desired, a a, um, celebrated preacher. I was thinking about Billy Graham. I was thinking about how he has been admired over the years for his gospel focus, for his years of preaching, how he has high renown as a loving father and a devoted husband, how his ministry spanned the globe, how he preached the gospel to the king and queens of this world how he preached the gospel to many a president, and how he became known as America's preacher. His ministry, one would might say, was a treasure. But it is but a shadow in comparison to the actual treasure that he preached. For it is the reign of Jesus that is above every other name. No preacher can ever attain the name of Jesus It is the reign of Jesus and his glory and his majesty and his dominion that is above any king or queen or president or preacher because Jesus is the treasure and anything else is but a shadow of what it can produce. And it works like that for each of us today. We've got to be careful not to puff up ourselves and declare this time next year, I will and whatever your thing is. Because in comparison to Jesus, it just isn't worth it. James 4:14 4, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. We declare this time next year almost in an arrogance of assuming we'll be here ne- this time next year. And here is Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is eternal. It can be compared to but nothing is ever the same. Which brings me to the fact that the gospel is invaluable. Look again, verse 46. The merchant finds a pearl of great value. Of all the pearls he's dealt with, of all the business he's gone through, this pearl is better than anyone he's ever seen. And notice what he does, a repeat behavior. Everything is sold, everything is gone because this pearl must be purchased. Now, where the man with the treasure was trying to secure the field to obtain the treasure, see how this pearl merchant sells everything he has. He gets rid of his business, of his security, of his hope, of his this time next year for one single tiny item. It would be like an investment banker selling all their stocks and shares, putting their house on the market, gaining millions in cash equity to buy the world's smallest item. It's strange because that tiny item must hold some extreme value to do that today, we're not talking about a pearl. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on that cross, taking each one of your sins, nailing it to that cross, destroying them so that you could now sit here as one forgiven and set free. That is the eternal reign of Christ, that he didn't sit in that grave, that instead he rose three days later to show you, to prove to this world there is not one sin that would ever cause him to lose that he is the great kingdom, that he is the eternal reigning king, that is the treasure and it's of great value. When we gaze on Jesus, when we see what he did on the cross, when we are drawn in by him, when we're captivated by his presence, when we view him for all that he is worth, we recognize, like Paul says, this world is but lost to us in comparison. For we, the broken and wretched sinner, have found value in the Son of God. That we now sit eternally as a child of God, co-heir to the throne, because one of great value actually saw us as great value and said, you are worth it. You are worth the life that I have. For Jesus, the most valuable person of all time, the most worthy person of all time, the one who died for you, he saw you as the treasure. He saw you as the pearl and he put all of the equity on the line so that you could have him. We've seen that it transforms our life. We've seen that it transforms our view of worth. I want you now to see that the gospel transforms our view of position, The gospel transforms our view of position. Look back just over these verses. I don't necessarily want to specifically pull certain words, but look back over these verses. In verse 44, we have a random man who's transformed by treasure. He finds himself no longer this man wandering in a field, but now a man that has everything that he could ever dream of. Notice in verse 44, he's now joy filled. He has been transformed. His demeanor is transformed. His value has been transformed. His life has been transformed. Then cast your eyes over verse 45 and 46. We have a different wandering man. He was searching for something good. He was always looking, but he never found. Then suddenly he finds it, and then life is transformed. The search is over. The business is over. He is now the owner of the greatest pearl of all time. Do you see, in both of these scenarios, the gospel transformed these individuals, their very position in life. They went from nameless individuals to treasure keepers. And Jesus was teaching these parables so that those who were meant to understand would grasp the vastness of what Jesus was coming to do. His life, his death, his resurrection would transform how people would view life and would transform their very positions. That's what we're seeing here. The comparison is about those who are not in the kingdom of heaven to those who will know the kingdom of heaven. But as we have gone through just these couple of verses, I wonder if we truly grasp the magnitude of the changed position that we can have in Christ. I wonder if you've been a a Christian for a little while now, and over the years, the, the beauty of the pearl, the joy of the treasure, is waning somewhat. It's growing somewhat stale in your hearts. You were once transformed and you remember the day and you can tell the story, but now your treasure sits to the side with a thin layer of dust growing over it. The gleam has gone and you're tempted to look elsewhere. In fact, just this last week you were thinking, if only I could just give this up because that Look so much more this time next year. Today I'm speaking specifically to you. I want you to grasp that the gospel provides a new position for you. I want you to see the transformative power of knowing who Jesus is. And to help you understand that, I want to read out two verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, in these two verses, the gospel was described as something that was past, present, and future. The gospel is something that we receive upon salvation in Jesus. It is something that we stand in today, and it's something that forever saves us and secures our future. The issue for many of us, though, is we forget that simple truth, that that gleam from the past now has a dust over it because we have forgotten that the gospel is something we stand on today that it secures our future and gives assurance. It is past, present, and future. You see, God didn't send his son to save you and then to leave you alone. God sent his son to say, I want to secure you because you are of great value. You will be my child. Confess your sin and I will secure you for eternity. And we forget that too quickly. the gospel would save you, would sanctify you and secure you. Don't lose hope. You are being transformed even right now. When tomorrow comes, when you are tempted to think that you're just too awful for God to love, that there's just too much mess in your life, I want you to remember this, that you were saved through Christ, that you are standing on his assurance and that tomorrow and every day in the future, he will hold you secure because your position has been transformed, never to be the same again. When Satan whispers those doubts in your ears, and he will do it, I promise you, he will whisper those doubts. You tell him exactly where to go. You tell him to go to the empty grave. You tell him to say, I am secure. I know that I am transformed. I know my position is secure in that empty grave and you can't take that away from me because Jesus, the most valuable treasure of all time is eternal. The kingdom of heaven, it is eternal. You walk in today in confidence, not in doubt. Confidence that Jesus holds you and guards you and protects you. This week is not a week for doubt. It is a week of confidence. Be assured that the gospel transforms your very position this week. Do not think you're some lowly person that you scrape off the ground. You are co-heir to the throne of Christ. You are the family of God, the child of God. You have eternal assurance that you will be with God in the heavenly realms because Christ Jesus is your treasure today and this week is not a week to doubt that. It is a week to grasp it that you have been transformed by the treasure and the pearl. But maybe you sit in a different camp today. Maybe you think you're not worthy of this treasure and this pearl. You've maybe experienced some transformation, but you've not really come close enough to see true transformation. You've heard the sermons, you've read the passages, but something stops you from getting closer. Do you feel dirty and ashamed when you come to Jesus? When you walked in today, did you feel dirty? Did you think if only they knew what I did this week? If only they knew what was in my past. Have you done something that makes you think, I'm just not even worthy of hearing this message? Your view of position is that you are the worst of the worst. Your front is good. You've managed to kid us all. But if we delved a little bit into you, we would find the dirt and the shame. If that is you, I want to tell you about a woman in the Bible in John 4. Jesus went to a woman in Samaria. She was a multiple divorcee who was now living with another man. She was known for her sin, known for her inability to keep a marriage. To make it worse, she was a Samaritan. The Jews hated Samaritans and never mixed. To the outside world, she was the last person that Jesus should ever go to. But he went to her, he talked with her, he saw her. She was filthy, she was shameful, she was a sinner, but Jesus saw her, he loved her. He showed her that the life that he had to offer would wipe all of this away and that she would find a new position. After a short interaction with Jesus, she ran into the local community declaring, this man has given living water. This man knows everything and he still speaks to me. A few short days later, the entire community come to Christ, knowing I changed position in him. Friends, there is not one single sin that you can commit where Jesus will look at you and say, you are too dirty to save. There's not one shameful act in your past that he is looking at you going, I can't do it. I just can't save you. There's nothing so vile that you have thought about that he is sitting there going, this person should go to hell. So maybe you are the woman at the well. Maybe your position today really is in a shameful place. But Jesus is the son of God and he offers new life the treasure is there the pearl is right before you and how do I know this because I was that person I was the shameful vile individual that thought I am not worthy of this and I think if only you knew what was in my past but it is dead and gone why because King Jesus reigns forever and he says I have new life So I I want you to do something today for me. And and I know this makes us often feel comfortable when the preacher says, I want you to do something. But I want you to, just for a moment, think of your week. Think of your year. Think of your life. I want you to think about the vile acts that you've been doing. The sin that's ruled your hearts. The things you've said you shouldn't have said. The things you've looked at that you shouldn't have looked at the things you have done that just makes you feel dirty. For a moment, I want you to think about those things. Each one of us has them. Each one of us thinks, if only he would ask me to say this out loud, I would be too ashamed to say it. And with those thoughts, that, that awful, vile act, that awful, vile, dirty thing you have said, the shameful act you have committed, I want you to hear some real truths today. I want you to hear this, that Jesus loves you that he values you. He values you to the point of sending himself so that he would take all those vile things that you are thinking about, and he would nail them to the cross. Because he doesn't want you to sit and think about vile acts. He replaces them with see the cross. It's been dealt with. It's gone. The price has been paid, and now you have a treasure. Friend, You are not a vile, shameful sinner in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are a loved and valued member of the family of God. The gospel changes everything when we grasp it. When you're born again into a new life with Jesus, he is yours. He is your treasure. He is your pearl. He is your friend. He is your salvation. He is your hope because Jesus is yours. That's what transforms Not this time next year, not the American dream, not the best life I'm living now, not the future is bright, not that grass is greener on the other side, but Jesus Christ himself transforms who we are. Daily, you're going to have fears, you're going to have anxieties, you're going to even have doubts, but remember this, in Christ, your position has changed forever. That is the power of the gospel, the power of transformation. It's found in nothing else. Nothing else will bring you to be clean before God. In 1 John, we read that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. But we forget the second half, and he will cleanse us from unrighteousness. Friends, this time next year, my hope would be that when I say bring those vile acts to your front of your mind, you would say, why would I ever do that? Because the gospel's forgiven them all. Jesus Christ has wiped it clean. He has cleansed me. There is nothing in me that I can bring forward because it's gone. Because I hold the treasure. Because I'm transformed forever. Friends, that's what I want for you. And so it leads me to conclude with a question What are you going to do about it? I've preached for many years, and in many years, I stand at that back door, and as people leave, people say, Good sermon. Thanks for that good sermon. Friends, I don't care whether this is a good sermon and you like it or not. What I care about is do you know Jesus? Do you know the transformation that he can provide you? Can you walk out those doors today and go, do you know what? I get it. I finally get it. Everything is gray in comparison. The gleam of Jesus is so beautiful. I want that. And that's not whether you're a Christian or not a Christian this morning. It is, I'm a Christian and it's grown gray and I want it afresh. I'm not a Christian. I've never known this, but it's beautiful. And I want to know the gleam of who Jesus is in my life. Friends, tell me if you want, it's a good sermon. But what's more important, tell me, do you know Jesus? If you do, he will never let you go. If you're feeling stale in your relationship with him, he is still there he is still loving you, he still calls you friend. And if you've never come to him before, today he is saying the treasure is right there. The pearl is yours to grasp. It's on offer for free because the cost has already been paid. Grab the gospel today and know the transformative power that it holds. It was recorded in the New Testament in the Gospels that only one man left Jesus sad and that was the rich young ruler. Jesus called for him to give up everything and follow him and he left sad because he just couldn't quite give everything up. Friends, don't leave sad today. Don't do it. It's not worth it. One man for the rest of this world will be recorded as sad because he decided to choose a sham of a treasure of this world. You have the great pearl before you. You have the hidden treasure before you. Grab hold onto it and rejoice and be transformed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the beauty therein. Father, we thank you that we have Jesus. We thank you for the treasure that you have sent in him. Father, I pray that people would not leave today sad. That if the gospel is the first thing they've ever heard today and they've never come to you, that today they would make a choice to follow Jesus, to live for him and to know transformation. Father, for those who have had a faith that have grown stale and the dust is settling on it and the gleam is disappearing, Father, shine bright before them. Remind them of the transformation that comes through the gospel and the joy that is to live with Jesus. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing the dirt and the shame. Father, do that to people today. Take their dirt, their shame, their vile acts. Let them confess them to you let them hear those words, friend, your sins are forgiven. Let them say this time next year, whatever may come, whatever may be, I know I have Jesus. Father, I pray this in your name. Amen.